It is absolutely true that we need to have an account, an answer. We need to be ready when people ask us what's in us, the answer that's in us. I just want to say at the start of the sermon as well, you need to test every spirit. You said it correctly this morning. You cannot just take people what they say and believe it. You need to test what I preach. The Bible says that we need to test every spirit. You need to be like the Bereans. Who knows the Bereans? In the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, the Bereans, if somebody came in and they preached to them, then you need to take what they said and go back to the Word and test it against the Word. Nobody, listen to me, no single person on the face of the earth is above that. So uh, I want to continue with uh, our study through the book of John and as you know, for the last few weeks we are looking in John chapter 6 and we found Jesus coming down with a multitude of people running towards him. He sat down and he asked his disciples, where are we going to get food to feed these people? And he, and he asked them that question to test them. So uh, they came up with all of their plans and they said, well, we haven't got enough money and there's a little lad here with uh, five bread, barley loaves, which is a poor man's food, and two fishes. That was enough for one, barely two. But this is to the multitude. And remember when I showed you that it happened before in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there were a hundred hungry men, and a man brought twenty loaves to them. And that fed all of them. But, but what is five loaves and two fishes to a multitude? And Jesus lifted up his eyes and he prayed to the Father and he, he multiplied that. He made that little much and he gave to everybody and twelve baskets were filled after that. An amazing event. Imagine yourself being there, sitting there and seeing what happened in front of your eyes. A wonderful miracle. And it would have caught your attention. You would go, wow. Not only, not only that, but you would have felt what happened. That crying tummy of yours getting filled. And it's satisfied. And it's good food. I'll tell you one thing. If you're hungry, anything tastes good. Yes? <laughs> it happens with me. And then right after that, Jesus went up onto the mountain and the multitude sits there and they would have seen him walk up onto the mountain. And he instructed his disciples to get in the boat and go over the sea. This time they were in Tiberias. And that's where this happened. And he said, let's go over to Capernaum. The reason for that is because the crowds now wanted to grab him and make him a king. Well, why? Because he's looking after us. He's giving us food. Who wouldn't love somebody who gives you food every day and don't have to worry about it? So, uh, they wanted to grab him. And he, he sends his disciples away. And, and you know what happened last week when we talked about it. They were in the middle of the sea uh, and this wind started blowing up and waves started coming up, and they were straining, the word says, against the waves, trying to get to the other side. And Jesus, up on the mountain, was praying for his disciples. Isn't it good that he's to this day praying for each one of us? The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that he is our high priest. He's in heavenly places now praying for you and for me. He looks out for us. Like he was on the mountain that day, looking down onto that sea, how his disciples were struggling all the time. He sees it when you are struggling, go through a difficult time. They were so focused on, on what's happening in the boat. Uh, I'm just trying to keep my head above the waters here, Jesus. I'm just trying to survive this. 
I'm just trying to get through what I'm going through now. I don't know, even know that there's eyes focused on me. Yet he is. The Bible says that God never sleeps nor slumbers. Have you, have you read that in Psalms? He's there every time. He is the sovereign God. He's the omnipresent God. He is a more powerful God. You don't know what you're going through. He's got his eyes on you. If you're his child, you're in a safe place. And they were straining on and, and Jesus came down and he walked on the water. And I find it fascinating that when we read and people try to find out how did he do it, I don't care how he did it, but he did. Look, I don't care how he's going to come into your situation whether he walks in there. I don't care, but he is going to come into your situation and he is going to make the, the storm and the wind to lay down and make it calm. I always tell people when they go through a difficult time, I always tell them this, the storm won't last forever. Yes? We're living in, in, here in Australia and did you see these storms coming over and the wind blows? Tomorrow, the sun is out. It's a sunny day. And soon you will forget what happened yesterday and you will focus what is in front of you. Paul says, he says, look, I put my hands on the plow and I look forward, forgetting the things which is behind. I'm just leading in here into our message today. And it's so wonderful that when he walked, I learned something there that they've grown a little bit in faith because now he doesn't say that they were afraid, although it wasn't a difficult situation, they were more fearful of seeing this ghost coming over the water or this apparition. It looked like Jesus, but they didn't know whether it was a demon or what it was. And you can imagine it's not flat waters, it's up and down. Uh, and, and when you, I, I was you know, going on fishing one day in, 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 in Auckland, we were in a boat and the wind started whipping up there and I was in a motorboat and I was, I was piloting this thing. I was the skipper and I was holding on to that steering wheel of the skipper. I mean, my friends afterwards said to me, one said that I was so afraid that I was going to pull that whole steering out of the boat. So, so I clamped onto that thing. But that is the, the waves and sometimes you're up and sometimes you're down. Imagine yourself. Here is Jesus walking, not straight through the waves, up then they see him and then they down and then they up and they, what is that thing over there? What is that? And the word says that they were so afraid they screamed out, Whoa! And he says, it is I, do not be afraid. And that leads now into where we are getting to now. Because it says there in John chapter 6 verse 22, on the following day when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boats there except that one which was disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with the disciples but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they had ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into the boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. That is the theme of the message today. Seeking Jesus. Imagine for a minute these people, all of these things that I just told you. They're so excited. We're going to make him a king. We want him to rule over us. He made a wonderful miracle. Remember that. Put it in your mind for a minute or two. It is such a fantastic moment. We're on a high, a spiritual high. Let's sing Hosanna. Let's sing praise the Lord. Let's give anything to this man. We want to make him king. We go to bed, we sleep with a full belly. 
Everything can't be better, can it? The next morning when they woke up, he was not there. They started looking for him. Where is this man, Jesus? They went up onto the mountain, looked behind the trees, looked behind the rocks. They couldn't find him there. Some standing on the mountain. Remember, there were 5,000 plus. They were all over the place, scattered all over, looking for this Jesus. Where is Jesus? Going along the shoreline, they saw the boat is not there. And that tweaked their mind. How, how, where is he? And then they remembered. His headquarters is Capernaum. He didn't have his headquarters in Nazareth where his own people were because they didn't accept the prophet in his own country. They said, let's go to Capernaum. But this is what I want to talk about this day. That, that hunger inside of them to seek Jesus. To look for Jesus. If there's one thing that this world has lost today, I'm telling you today, it is to seek Jesus. People do not want to seek Jesus anymore. They look for other things but Jesus. They will drive past on this busy motorway here. They will not seek Jesus. Every person today. Look, the Bible says in the last days it will be like us in the days of Noah. And all we are doing is we are looking at the depravity of man. But it's not that. The sign of Noah is this. That the storm was coming. The rain was coming. The water was coming. But what did the people do? They went on as if nothing was going to happen. They were given to marriage. They lived their lives and said, you know what, she'll be alright, mate. And this is the same that we are living today. It is the sign of Noah in our eyes. Yes, we are looking at what's going on in the world, but the biggest sign for me is that people are just doing what they do without Jesus. We've come a, become a people who are so self-centered. We've become a people that is so self in ourselves and looking after ourselves, independent, that we do not see Jesus any longer. But these people... They seek for Jesus. I find it interesting. When you read that passage there, before this we find the true disciples in the boat. And they found it tough to get over there, isn't it? They had a storm. These guys, let's call them hypocritical seekers, and I'll explain that in a minute. They go over the water. Was there a storm? No. They found it so easy. And you see, that's one of the things when I talk to Christians so often. They say, you know what, since we started serving God, it is as if the whole world is falling apart. Is that right? Since we serve God, it feels as if it's so difficult. We look upon the people who live their lives, immoral people. We look at them, they sin, they blaspheme, they do life, and it seems to us as if they've got a better life than us. Look, you might be sitting here and go, that's not me. But the young people are looking at that. And the young people are drawn. They are drawn by the successes of this world. And we find it all over in the Bible. The disciples go over the same sea to Capernaum. They had to strain to get over. They had to really battle the waves. These people go the next day. It's calm. It's so easy to get over to Capernaum. But there's a lesson in that. And this is it. In the midst of our struggles, we know who we can trust on. We know who will come to us. We know who holds us in His hands, and His name is Jesus. 
It is when these people who find it so easy running to storms, you know what they do? That is when they're going to start searching for you. That is when, my brother, they're going to come to you and you need to have that answer which is Christ in us. You then need to tell them. You need to then be that light for them. So keep on praying for them. Keep on praying for your loved ones who don't serve the Lord. Because one day is a day when they're going to run into a storm and the only vision of Christ they're going to have is you. Don't hear me wrong here today. We're not small messiahs. We will never be that. There's only one Messiah. But like we sang this song this morning, He uses us to reach to the world. He uses me today to preach to you His message. So be ready for that. I find it fascinating, these people going seeking Jesus. It reminds me of what the prophet says, and I want to show you this in Isaiah chapter 55 verse 6. When Isaiah wrote down these words, when he hear from our God, our Father, he says in verse 6, Seek ye the Lord while He may be found. Seek Him while He may be found. Call ye upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Seek him, it says. That word seek there is an interesting word in Hebrew. It's the word darash. And it means to inquire. You know what people want to do? We want to come to church and we want to just sit there and hear the download. No, no, no. This seeking is a different kind of seeking. This is where you inquire the whole time. And let me put it to you this way. The Spirit of God will lay within your heart. He will draw you unto Him and then you draw near to God. This is how it happened to me. I was so full of myself when I was young. But you know what did happen? I went to a church service and the Spirit of God brought me and I started inquiring. I wanted to have more. I wanted to know more. Inquiring is something that you actively do. You start reading. You start talking to people who serve the Lord. You start finding out. You start praying. It is an inquiry about Him. It is to make an inquisition. This is how you seek. That's what that word means. Seek ye the Lord. Keep on seeking Him. Question. Question everybody. Go to somebody, a saint, a brother in the Lord who's been serving the, year, the Lord for years. Go to them. Ask them about the Lord. Ask them their testimony. Go on your knees and pray. Go on your knees and pray. I'm going to say that so many times today. But seek ye the Lord. And he continues on. He says, question, require, search the Lord. But I love the next uh, uh, call out there. He says, call ye upon him. Not only do you seek Him, but call upon Him. It comes from the Hebrew word kara, and that means to call out. We call unto the Lord out. We say, Lord, we seek You. We worship You. We call unto You. Take this man, for instance, there in Matthew chapter 20, verse 29. He's blind, two of them. And as Jesus departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men, sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, what did they do? Excuse me, Jesus. 
No, no. They cried out, the word says. They said, have mercy on us. Listen, this crowd has got so much noise that it will damper your voice. You need to cry out to the Lord. He says, call upon Him. Search for Him while He might be found. Seek ye Jesus. Have mercy on us, O Lord. Thou Son of David. I read another passage of a blind man crying out to Him as as well. Call out to the Lord. You see, but the world don't want to call out to Him anymore. They don't want to seek the Lord anymore. Oh, there's so much things to do, isn't there? Who wants to seek Jesus? So I take these people as an example. They looked everywhere, couldn't find him. And they did something on their own. They got in those boats and they went over to Capernaum. Look at James chapter 4 verse 7. He says, therefore submit to God. Therein lies the problem. Mankind don't want to submit. If you read all of these self-help books, what does it say? Be strong in yourself. Build your self-esteem. You are the man. You are the woman. You are the lady. Be strong. Be you. No, no. He says, submit to God. That's where it starts. He says, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You see, there is two sides of this. The first side is that God pulls you through His Holy Spirit. It says it right here in John, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will convict you of your sin. And that's drawing you. That's how it happened with me. I was so full of myself, but you know what? I thought I was right. Somebody would have come up to me and said, you are so full of yourself. I said, who do you think you are? You don't know me. You are, you are beneath me. Who do you think you are to come and talk to me like that? But you see, when the Spirit draws you near and the Holy Spirit starts convicting your heart and you start to see that you are just a filthy rag, then you draw near to God. You call upon Him. And this is, this is how we call upon Him. He says, cleanse your hands. You see, there is no salvation without repentance. I'll say it again. I'm sick and tired of hearing this watered down gospel that's going on in the world right now where we just get the feeling in your heart and all of a sudden I'm safe. Or I just go to a place and I feel welcome amongst the brothers and the sisters and all of a sudden I start to say I'm safe. No, you confess your sin to a holy God. We sinned against God. We sinned against Him through Adam. Disobedience is a sin. And he was disobedient and we are disobedient. So we submit to God. We draw near to Him. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter turn to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. You come to the Lord and you start humbling yourself and you know what will happen? Your self-righteous joy will turn into gloom and into, into a crying out to the Lord. In Hebrews, the Hebrew writer says the same thing. In Hebrews 10, 19, he says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter the holies by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way which He hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say His flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near. How? How? With a true heart, full of faith, assurance of faith. 
having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us all fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised us. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. So what happens when you come to Christ? He will pardon your sins. The Bible says He will wash them away like the east is from the west. Throw it into the deepest part and never think of that again. In Psalm 16 verse 10 He says, For you will not leave my soul in Sheol. I want you to have a look at this. This is obviously a messianic psalm. He talks about Jesus Christ and how He was going to die and be resurrected. But look at the application here. He says, For you will not leave my soul in Sheol. What is Sheol? What is my soul? That means you're dead. And he says that you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Now listen to this in verse 11. You will show me the path of life. Jesus Christ is the path of life. That is why it is so important to seek Him. While you are young and while He's yet to be found. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are places forevermore. If you want joy, real joy, wonderful joy, listen, let Jesus come into your heart. Your sins will wash away. Your night will turn to day. Your life you will make over anew. There's a, 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 a song like that, isn't it? There's a hymn. If you want joy, real joy, wonderful joy, let Jesus come into your heart. They wake up, where is Jesus? We want this Jesus, we wanted to make Him King. We want joy. Look, the cry out for the world today is we want joy and happiness. Or, this is what I hear people say, all I want is to live a life of, of, of happiness and joy. Isn't that what you want? I just want to wake up today and know it's going to be okay. And I'm going to be joyful and I'm going to be happy. And I want to go to home tonight and I want to feel it's joy and happy. But let me tell you this, without Christ there's no joy. No joy. People look for joy in different places. They look for it in relationships. They look for it in places they shouldn't go. And you know what happens, those things just burn up. They look at it for self-esteem. There's so many things. You've heard these sermons all over again. I don't have to repeat them. But this is the thing. There is no joy without Christ. Because He shows you the path of life. Before Christ you are dead. Look, it says it right there in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. He says, He made you alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. Sin and trespasses kills you. You're dead. We were born that way. I said it last time, I said walking dead, and I think Andre, you said zombies. We are dead walking until we find the one who shows us the path of life, Jesus Christ. And he's the one who gives us real joy. Jesus said it himself in John 15 verse 11, this is his words. He says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. What is that joy? It is salvation in Jesus Christ. It is Him. Now, you know what? If this is what these people were seeking, 
I would have been really, really glad and happy. I would have said that is one of the best evangelical outreaches ever. Have you seen 5,000 people taking to boats going over that sea, going to Capernaum looking for Jesus? And those who didn't have boats, I can only imagine was running along the shoreline, running around to run to Jesus. We are seeking Jesus. And that's the message. So I'm really excited when I read that first, that part, seeking Jesus. I go, wow, that's great. But then I read on. And I find out that people seek Jesus for different reasons. And therein lies another problem. In John 6.25, and when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Well, we are really, really, can't work that one out in our minds. That's, woo! We saw you going up on the mountain, and the disciples going in the one boat that there was. There was no other way for you to come here. How did he get here? And what did he say? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you, you did eat of the loaves and were filled. How strange is that answer? You know, I would have thought I'd go sit down and start explaining to them exactly this miracle that took place. Wow, if you want to know, everybody sit down, there's grass, let's make some food, sit down, make yourself comfortable. I'm going to tell you now, I walked over the water. Woo! And listen, that is what a lot of people today will do. They will take the glory and start putting it out into the newspapers. Not so Jesus. He knew the intent of the hearts. He says, no, 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 no. Verily, verily. It's interesting those two words, isn't it? It means amen, amen. That's what those two words mean. Amen, amen. Now that's strange for Jesus to start that the, the conversation back in that way. You would say, did he hear what they said? Did he hear the question? He didn't even answer the question. He said, no, no, you are seeking me because you ate the food. Your tummies, your bellies were filled last night, now it's breakfast, you're coming back for breakfast. You want more food. You want physical food. And this is why you are looking for me. It is quantas profit nobis, hayet fabula di Christo. That means that you are serving Christ for profit. That's what you are looking for. And it's the same today. You know, people build these places and they put the name Christianity on the front of them and all they are in for is the profit. How many jet planes can I buy by your ties? And I'll preach... On money and money and money and I will make you feel really bad. And look, if you don't have money, go to the bank and make a loan, but you've got to pay. You say, it is quantas profit. They're into it for the profit. And it's not about Christ. These people's agenda coming to Him is, what can you do for me? Oh Lord, if only, if only you do this one thing for me, I will serve you for the rest of my life. That is a selfish prayer. It's all about you. And that is for your profit. Quantius profitus. That is Latin. I'm not a Latin, but I've learned that and I like it. Nobilis. It says, Hayek fabula di Christo. You're into the thing for your own belly, for your own profit. But we've got to look a little bit deeper. 
Some people is not into it for their own profit. It is for the fanfare. I want to be the man. I, I thank the brother, you know, when he said, you know, I, I, but I give God all the glory. I know nothing, friends. I, the more I study the word, the more I realize I don't. And that's why I say, taste every spirit. It's not about us. It's about Him. This is what he's saying to me. He says, you're looking for, you don't look, come to me for the miracles. You came now for the food. It is a spiritual thing from this point he's going to explain to them. He says, do not labor for the food which perishes but for the food which endures everlasting, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has sent, set His seal on Him. The seal means it is hot wax and He puts, like the King, a ring, His emblem on Him. He says, this is the seal, the emblem of God. He is the emblem of God that He sent to this earth, the emblem of God. There's so many facets around Christ, but that's the one. He says, I've said, he says, see, they couldn't understand this. And, and quite honestly, the natural man can't understand this. What are you talking about food that will not perish? What, what are you talking about? And he had to explain to them. And then, I love it when he continues on, he says to them, uh, or, or this refers to Isaiah chapter 55 as 1. He says, Ho everyone, this is what the prophet says, Isaiah, who thirst, come to the waters, and you who have no money, listen to this, you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread, or your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me. I want you to hear the prophet's words this morning. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall lift. And you will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. This is what the prophet said and this is what Jesus was telling them. It's not about the food that's going to fill your belly today and tomorrow it's gone. He is that food. Jesus Christ is the one that will not perish. You are seeking Jesus. I am He. But not in the way that you are seeking Him. It's totally different. Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He says, we know that you are from God because of the miracles you do. And he says, you must be born again, Nicodemus. You see the physical thing, but you need to be, you must be born again. This is the food that will not perish. And he is still talking to the gnat. And then in verse 28, he says, then they say to him, what shall we do? Now I love this. He says, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? What is this? What is this thing we need to do? And Jesus said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He sent. And you see, this is what mankind do these days. And it was in those days as well. We want to work for it. We want to feel we earn it. It's not, you know this phrase which they say there's no freelancers? That is how we were conditioned. And then we come to Jesus and we think it's the same. No, no, what shall we do? 
What work shall we do? It's the same that the, the man asked. In Luke chapter 10, verse 25, a certain lawyer came to him and, and to test him, he said, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What shall I do? And the same thing in Luke 18, 18, now a certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And we do the same thing. Now let me warn you, there is many a plenty of teachers and preachers standing behind pulpits who's preaching that you have to do something. And that is why you need to test what they say. That is why you need to be a Berean. There are many teachers and preachers and the only reason they do that is because they want to have control over you. Because who is going to determine what you do and what you don't do? It's like the Pharisees of old. It is we make the laws and man, we're going to keep you to that law. Oh brother, I saw what you did around the church when nobody looked. And you better come out and repeat. And this is the problem today. It is a works-based gospel. And you know what Paul said? He wrote a whole gospel in Galatians. You can read the whole book of Galatians. And he says, you want to come back under the law. You started in the spirit, but now you come back under the law. And let me tell you, it is such a fine line. You have to discern it really carefully. You know, when people come to me with a teaching, I say, that's fine. I'll hear what you say, but I'm going to test you to the Word now. Or I go like this. I say, brother, sister, I believe you. Can you just show me the verse? And, and look, not only the verse out of context. Show me the passage. Show me the chapter. Put it into context. Look, don't come with a parachute and parachute right into the middle of the chapter. But tell me, tell me, and show me that what you are telling me is not works-based and law-based. You know, it's so easy for me to, to build a few laws and say, thou shalt come to this church, and when you come to this church, we all will wear ties. Because if you don't wear a tie, God can't hear you. <laughs> You're laughing. It happened in my life. <laughs> oh, if you want to really, really, really hear from the God, we will pray only four o'clock in the morning at my house. Otherwise, the Lord won't hear your prayer. And you know what? There are people who are falling for that. And I feel, my heart breaks for that. It's really, it's sore. They go for this thing, and they are caught up by people, and, and, and you know what's the first thing that goes? Joy. The joy is gone. He says it right here in Psalms. He says, He is the one who will show us the path of life, and with the path of life comes joy. When I look at people, you know what religion does? It takes joy away. Because it's work, work, work. You can look at all of the religions out there. All of them. Is there joy? Oh yeah, it's really, it's really joyful. No, no. You should see the joy in the eyes that follows into the whole body. You can stand you with a smile, but your eyes can be dead. He shows the path of life. And with that comes joy. And then he says, this things I did so that your joy may be full. And here it is, friends. It is so fascinating to me. What shall we do? Tell us what we do and we'll do it. If I have to run 10 miles, I'll run 10 miles. Then I know I'm going to be in heaven. No, no, it's not work-based. The just shall live by faith. 
You need to understand that passage. In verse 30, Therefore they said to him, You see, they didn't get this. They said, What sign will you perform then? And I, you know, honestly, when I, when I read that every time, I don't get this. I go, What on earth are you asking? Weren't you there when 5,000 people ate from five loaves and two fishes? I mean, just help me here. You came over the water. You run along the shoreline seeking Jesus. For what reason? Yesterday. Only yesterday. In my Bible, just the previous verses. This is how close it is. You saw Him do that. And now you ask for a sign. But obviously, the penny is starting to drop. Because they then started talking about Moses. He says that we may see it and believe you. You see, the problem here is, friends, they came to Jesus for what he could do. They didn't want to listen to him. They didn't want to hear his teaching. They came for the food. (laughs) So many people do that. We come to church for the socialing, for the fellowship. I hear it when people talk. We go because it's a nice church. It's a vibrant church, man. That church is vibrant. You go to the, man, that's great. They've got smoke machines there and there's a lot of young people. And if there's a lot of young people there, then it must be good. You see, they come to church for the wrong reason. They don't want to hear the message. (laughs) You open up the Bible and you say, okay, let's just preach out of the Word of God for the next hour. And you know what happens? Those young people, where's my phone? I'm on Facebook, I'm on a game, I'm, I'm a... We, we don't want to hear the Word of God anymore. And then they come to me and they say, Look, we need to attract the young people. Let's bring in stuff in here. They don't want to come for the preaching. And I say, that's a lie from the pit of hell. You preach the Word in spirit and truth and the young people will come. They will come. But... One would think they want to do that, but they don't. Because we just come here for our body. We would just want to. What can you do for us? What should we do? If we do something, will you then look after us? Oh Lord, if only there's then? No. You see, they say, what sign will you perform that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate manna in the desert. It was written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, you see, they say, what sign will you do? Because our fathers, Moses, gave them manna from heaven. I say to you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. But because they came to be fed, they didn't hear those last few words. If they could only understood that he was standing right there in front of them. But you see, the ear is trained to what the ear needs to hear. And the eye is trained to let the eye, what the eye needs to see. Let me say that again and explain. The ear is trained to hear what the ear needs to hear. You will only hear the things that you want to hear because you train your ear to hear those things. And this is what happens. This is why some people, if you come into church, they switch off because the ears are not trained for the Word of God. And then afterwards they come, why are you getting so excited about this? And the same thing with the eye. You study the Bible, 
and you pick things out and you come and you're really excited about it and you, man, I'm blessed by this. Woo, man, I'm really blessed. I want to guess that. And then you give it to people and say, I can't see it. Now, I'm not saying that the person whose eye is trained is better than you. No, no, it's trained. You know, the Holy Spirit trains us and it helps us and it, it, and it, it um, reveals it to us. But these people were just blinded now. And now, he says true from heaven and let's finish with this verse. He says in verse 33, For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Look, friends, I can spend another hour on this because there's so much in this. He is compared to manna, and that's correct. Manna in the Old Testament, I'll just quickly throw it in here, we've run out of time, but manna in the Old Testament was a type of Christ. Manna itself. The word manna means, what is this? What is this? Okay? And when the manna came, there's so many correlations with it. They had to bow. The manna was only for the day. At night time, it got trodden. And the next day, you have to get fresh one. And they had to come down. It was small. They had to come down and bow. They had to submit. They had to kneel down to pick the stuff up. We come to Christ who is the bread of life and we have to submit to Him. That manna was sufficient. Sufficient for them for the day. This manna is sufficient for a lifetime. It's so wonderful. But let's continue quickly. And he says in verse 34, Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Oh, wow, how wonderful would it be to have this bread always, isn't it? The bread that will make us not hungry anymore. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. You see, what Jesus did is in the spiritual, talking to them about a spiritual thing, and they are thinking back in a physical thing. And that's the problem of mankind. The natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. It's in 1 Corinthians. He's now telling them about that bread from heaven. He is the bread. And then they say, oh, give us this bread. You, you know, this sounds the same in John chapter 4. You remember the lady at the well? When he spoke to her, he said, Jesus answered to her, say, whoever drinks of this water. He was talking about water to her. Yes, of this water will thirst again. That was talking about the water in the pit. But whoever drinks of the water I shall give him will never thirst. You see, bread that you will never hunger, water you will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him fountains of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may never thirst. These people, give us this bread. Always. These are the two things that we are living on. Water and bread. And you know what? He's both. He satisfies our thirst and He satisfies our hunger. 